Welcome to the Com Surgery Podcast Edition, hosted by Christine Townsend. We are on the nose for midday uh, central time. Good morning if you're not central and good afternoon if you're everything else. Thank you so much for signing up to join our webinar. This is really exciting. It's our first one, uh, Com Surgery, where we uh, the doctors are in. Uh, our first panel, um, I'm really, really excited to have these wonderful people with me. Um, so just as a bit of background, my name is Christine Townsend. I am the founder of PIO Toolkit. I am actually in Austin, Texas, uh, believe it or not. I'm originally from the UK. My background's in law enforcement and government communications. Uh, so across the board, um, I wanted to make sure that we have some people that really balance out the audience that we're having here and the questions that we will have. So um, what I'll do, um, just give you a few words about what's going to happen. And then I'm going to introduce a wonderful panel of experts, or they'll even introduce themselves. So if um, you can put questions in the chat right here, uh, we will get to them as we can. Uh, we already have some that have been uh, submitted to us, so we're going to get to those. But please don't be shy. Feel free to just put those questions in there. If you want someone specific to answer them, uh, just say their name and we'll make sure they uh, we put the spotlight on them. But if it's just a question that to the panel, we'll work through. As I say, we've got a really great balanced set of experience here that will uh, hopefully touch upon everyone's experiences and uh, questions. So what I'm going to do, introduce our panel. I'm going to go to, I'm going to point around people, which probably looks completely different to everyone else, but uh, I'm going to start with Dion, if you'd like to say hello and introduce yourself briefly. Hello, my name is Dion Wall. I'm the public information officer for Boulder, Colorado Police. Um, I've been in Boulder for about two and a half years, and I, I've previously worked for two other police agencies, a sheriff's office in Colorado and a police department back in Richmond, Virginia. And before that, I was a newspaper reporter. Fantastic. Thank you, Dion. Lots of fantastic experiences, which we will get to. Uh, I'm going to go down to this corner here with uh, Matt Bailey. Matt, hi. Thank you. And you are joining us from Dubai because you're fancy. Yes. And so it's the middle of the night there, I believe. Uh, it's 10 o'clock. Yeah. Oof. PM. That's dedication. <laughs> so, yeah. Matt, Yes, we're talking about the temperature earlier, and it was a balmy 80 degrees here today, so uh, I have to deal with that while I'm here. Uh, but it's wintertime, so it's nice and cool. Uh, I have been in digital marketing for over 25 years. Uh, Dion, I had to laugh because I, I have a degree in journalism, and that taught me that I didn't want to be in journalism. Uh, so I went the internet route, and uh, uh, now I teach, and so that's what I'm doing here in Dubai is I am dealing with a poor connection and uh, teaching uh, both government and private industry digital communications. Fantastic. Thank you, Matt. I'm so pleased to have you here. Um, I know you also bring a wealth of experience and skills and expertise, but very well, last but by no means least at all. Someone who I adore, I adore you all, but um, Rebecca Mayner. Thanks, Christine. Hey, everybody. My name's Rebecca Mena. I live in the D.C. area in Arlington, Virginia. I'm currently on the private sector side, supporting federal clients in the homeland security space. Uh, but prior to this, was working at the state and then also local level in government communications, but mainly focusing my efforts in public safety. 
brilliant and we we met up briefly in uh, dc very recently which was fantastic so a great place to be um so without further ado let's get started um so a lot of the questions we have had or that we get frequently around actually around branding um and matt you're really experienced in digital marketing for brands and you've got a passion for using data to inform decisions around customer engagement and i believe we should always be using data to inform our decisions so um what would you advice would you give to anyone in uh, government communications who's sort of thinking about upping their game when it comes to digital well, it's going to come down first to what do people expect from you? Uh, what service do you fulfill? What purpose do you have? And, and what's the perception there? Because if you try to create a different personality or you try and create something that doesn't match what expectation is, there's going to be a, a big difference there. Um, people aren't going to follow where you're going. Uh, and so understanding what the perception is and what people's expectations are, that's going to be the, the first place to start. And all of your communications has to line up to meet that person, to, to meet that audience where they are, their understanding of you and, and how you're going to make their life better, more secure, whatever. You've got to match the communication to the personality or the purpose of the organization. Fantastic. And um, so what, how would you go about doing that? I mean, I'm really big on stakeholder uh, mapping. It's one of my favorite things. But can you maybe give us some ideas of some, um, I guess, quick and dirty tools that you can use um, yeah. to actually get into this? Yeah, absolutely. The first thing, and, and I always advocate, it, it, the simplest thing is actually talking to people, uh, asking them what their perception is and, and what did they think. Uh, but it's the one thing that I find, uh, you know, people both in public and private, they want to avoid that at all costs. Uh, and they'd rather pay for software rather than just actually talk to people. But that's where you start. Uh, but then you can gather some data, uh, just get some basic data. What do people think? What do they expect? Do, do they line up with what you think you are and who you stand for? But then I would also start looking at some, I, to me, the best data in the world is search data because people are never so honest as to when they type things into Google and find out what are they searching for when it comes to your organization? What questions do they have? What are they trying to find? Because now, especially through that search data, you're going to see exactly what people expect from you. What are they looking for? Is it easy to find? And so there's a lot of question and answers that you can do just based on that perception to make sure that first, you're just in alignment with the expectations. Hmm. That's a really good tip, actually, because that costs nothing uh, to do that. And it's just kind of finding out what, you know, people want is so crucial. And I think it is one of those things that people do tend to forget. And I, I've been guilty of it myself. You make assumptions based on your own opinions. And uh, I think anyone in a, who's a communicator kind of does see things through their own prism. So um, how about Rebecca and Dion? Have you got any experience around, you know, that kind of engagement and what you do to talk to people? Deanne, feel free to go first. I 
I think, and that's right, it's, it really is about talking to people until you know what people are thinking or what their perceptions are. You don't uh, really kind of know, I think, one of the tacks take. So a lot of what I do is responsiveness, but also, but branding is critical. Like for, you know, a small thing is Google reviews. Um, and in the public sector, like a lot of people don't necessarily look at that. We look at Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. But if you go and you look at your, your agency's like Google reviews, that's something else. Like how many people, that's one of the top search engines, go there and look up information. And if, what's the first thing they see are Google reviews. So... That's right. Yeah, that's quite a funny one. Actually, I used to quite enjoy looking at our police department Google reviews because it was never never great, but you know, kind of a bit skewed. But um, Rebecca, how about you? Any thoughts on this? Yeah, um, could not agree more. Speaking to people is so important. Uh, one of the things that I did when I was with the mayor's office back in Jersey um, was kind of really tap into the next door community. Um, I think a lot of people don't necessarily view it as social media. A lot of it's neighbor to neighbor conversation and it is a lot more conversational. Um, and I found so much out about what people thought about the mayor's office and different initiatives that were going on um, just by kind of tapping into that network. Um, and it really wasn't something that I had looked at with prior agencies. Fantastic. I think um, one of the things that we in a police department I worked with, we actually spoke to people who are out on the ground um, dealing and interacting with people day to day and saying, well, what are they saying about us? Um, and quite often the, the disparity between headquarters and, and out on the ground was quite a vast <laughs> thing that we had to kind of dig deep into. So um, it's, yeah, I, I concur with all of you. Uh, certainly talking to people is, is key. And I think communicators can sometimes be the worst communicators. So it's important to kind of get out and, and talk to people. So um, actually on that, um, Rebecca, you did work in government. Um, as you say, you were at uh, Atlantic City. Um, and so I'm interested in how, I know a lot of people will sort of feel like sometimes they just get into public sector, that's it, they're gonna stay there. Um, but you transitioned into private, but you're still working with government. So um, how do you do that and not lose sight of what you care about um, but you're kind of still working in private. How, how can you recommend doing that? And what sort of work could you sort of consider? It's hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, I've been in the private sector. Next week will be a year. Um, and it's been a transition. And it's taken me almost this full year to really kind of shift my mindset a little bit and go from being the doer to the suggester and the advocator um, and kind of passing things on to another team after you create them. Um, but I think that the position that I'm in right now with Guidehouse is kind of the best of both worlds. Like you said, Christine, I'm technically private sector, but I'm working with federal clients, um, still kind of in the emergency management and homeland security space. So it's still really tied to the things that I care about, um, but it's kind of looking at it from a different approach. And, um, you know, there's for me, there's a little bit less of the direct resident engagement, um, but knowing that I'm helping an agency kind of craft their communication strategy a little bit better and maybe a bit more strategically to then create a more positive experience for the customer, the resident, um, I think kind of still hits that that bite for me, if you will. Um, so it's it's been a transition, um, but I think if you are looking to go private, um, it's been an awesome experience. I've you know, being on both sides, government doesn't always have a lot of resources or a lot of funding. So it's been, a, I know, shocking Dion, right? Um, and it's been like a whole new world, like having so many resources and tools and things available to me that I'm like, 
geez, if I would have had these resources when I was, you know, quote unquote, right on the government side, I would have been unstoppable. So mm-hmm. it is definitely an interesting change pace. And, and on, on that, would you um, recommend any specific skills or qualifications that you maybe should get that would kind of set you apart? Coming into the private sector? Yeah. To be totally honest, um, I think just having public or public sector comms experience, most of the people, not most, I guess that's not fair to, to generalize that heavily, but a lot of the people that I've interacted with don't have the direct government side of things. So the mm-hmm. perspective and the tools and just like the ability to work with not a whole lot and still be really successful and reach your community. Um, I can't tell you how many times people are like, how do you, how do you know how to do that? Like, how did you, and it's just from having to do it and not having other options. So, um, honestly, I think serving in any kind of public communications role and transitioning to private sector, honestly, tees you up really well. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And I think actually you, you've hit upon a point there. So I, 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 ex- I, I feel like a lot of GovComs people do themselves down because they're not private sector um, and that they don't value themselves enough. I don't know if anyone else agrees unless it's maybe it's more of a, a, a British thing, but we are not regarded as highly. And I say that in really loose inverted commas, but I think uh, having that confidence to get out there in the private sector is, is quite a big step. So, you know, what you've done is, is, is great. Um, but I will play devil's advocate and say, do you think if you had all those tools, you would have been as creative? Definitely not. Uh, well, okay, I guess I can't say definitely, but no, right? Like when you have all these things at your disposal, you use them because you have them. But when you don't have them, you have to think really outside of the box, look, kind of look across the border, across the region, across states to see what other people are doing and kind of crowdsource that way. Um, my favorite line from like working in the emergency management EM space is like research and borrow, right? Like mm-hmm. what is working well in other places? How can I tailor that to my community and make it work here? And I still use that in the consulting world all the time. Like research and borrow is so, you know, embedded in the industry. Um, but no, I, I think if I had had all those things right away, I may not have kind of gained some of those creative tools, but I'm thankful the route that I did go um, because it has made the transition to private sector a lot easier. Gotcha. Well, thank you. That's really, really helpful to get that insight. Is anyone else? Uh, I'm Matt. You forgive me. You, I know you're private sector. So, is there anything you'd add if you wanted to pull someone in from government? You work regularly with the government in uh, in the Emirates, so. Yes. Yeah, that has been a great government experience uh, coming from private sector, and 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 that's a thing. You know, as a government worker like you were saying there's there's a tendency to be oh we're not private so we don't have what i'm finding is it it, the creativity though is the key because in private sector for most of the companies we work with yeah it's all money driven i have to show a return on investment and i work with private companies who can't do that they can't figure it out and so it's not because uh they're incapable it's just because the ability to work with data and justify what you're doing and then connect it to a return on investment it's very difficult to do so when you get to government now here's your objective your objective is uh persuade you know move people to maybe take an action if they can take an action i can measure it 
But if I'm just trying to work with perception, I'm just trying to make people think a different way or consider something, how do you measure that? Uh, so you're limited then with basic measurements that don't truly, you know it when you're looking at the numbers, doesn't show I changed anyone's mind, just shows that maybe some eyeballs looked at this. And so that's what you're limited to based on the object objective of what you're trying to do. Uh, so that's really the key is how do I come up with this, this tangible measurement that shows that I was able to do this? Uh, so that's why I always love a, a clickable action, something that shows I persuaded someone to click and that's easy to measure. And then the key is rolling in some sort of financial pivot into here's the value of what it created. Yeah, value is, is vital, isn't it? And it's also about proving your own value mm -hmm. uh, wherever you are, whatever your role. So um, evidencing that is, I mean, you can tell I'm from a police background, I like to evidence everything. But um, move. I'm going to move on to, because we have a question from Tracy, but I'd like to just um, speak to Dion first about another question we had. So you were a journalist um, and then you had your first PIO role with Richmond PD, which is where we first met many years ago. Um, I just want, and this is a really quite a simple one, uh, for, there are a lot of new PIOs that are coming over from a particularly broadcast, um, but journalism. What would be your best advice for making media contacts if you're a brand new PIO and maintaining them? It, it's actually become, I think, more challenging um, since I first started, since I, you know, so I've been in law enforcement now for over 14 years. Um, and a lot of it, it, especially in the bigger markets, the, the changeover happens a lot with reporters um, going to other markets. Um, so I think it, it, it literally comes down to kind of what Matt said earlier. It's talking to people. Um, I recognize it's, it's easy for some people to categorize groups of people as the same, like the media are this or police are this. But they're all individual people. Um, with their individual experiences, um, goals, hopes, and dreams. So it's just to treat each person kind of like um, just kind of a, a just an individual. Um, mm -hmm. Talk to them like when they call and ask for a story. Just kind of get to know them as you can. If you're you know if you're too busy that day, plan time another day. Um, if you can, like have coffee with them or just take the time. Whenever I we have incidents, if I can, I'm, I always make time just to sit there and, and talk to them if I can. And just to get just to get to know them, um, and I think the more you do that, you you learn who people are, uh, their reputation. Oh, we lost Dion. Okay, we'll come back. Um, but what we will do is we will get to some questions. So Tracy, um, as long as everyone else can still hear me, um, we'll wait for her to pop back. Let's hope there's not another incident. Um, Tracy was asking. Um, in regards to social media, and I know both of you will be able to help on this one. Um, how do you handle responses when they're all negative or they bring up like hot potato issues? So um, currently she's saying that they don't interact and that doesn't foster trust and legitimacy. So you kind of answered your own, <laughs> but that is a, yeah, I understand that I've been there. So how do you handle the rubbish stuff? <laughs> Who wants to go first? I know yeah, you go first. Sorry, Matt, I spoke over you. Rebecca, can you uh, speak to that? Because you probably had a lot of that in the mayor's office, right? 
Oh, yeah. Um, and being in D.C. during, uh, you know, a very contentious presidential election, there was a lot of that, too. And there's just a lot of negativity around the word homeland security. So I've probably seen it all at this point. Um, but it's funny that this is brought up. Uh, we were actually talking about this internally with my team today, um, kind of coaching some federal clients uh, on like what appropriate social media interaction is like. And Tracy, you're right. Your last sentence about, um, you know, creating that interaction and that two-way communication is is one of the biggest goals or, you know, benefits of social media. My approach, and, you know, this is just kind of me, but my approach is to respond when it's appropriate, especially if it's around misinformation. So if you have a tool or a resource that you can point somebody to and help showcase why what was shared may not be true um, and point them into the right direction. It kind of helps with that education piece and, and kind of driving the conversation towards the right message. Um, but the other thing too is, you know, if, if a comment's brought up and it's, it's a negative response and it's a complaint, but there's something that you as an agency can do or you can help connect them to the right person, I take the approach of responding and saying, hey, thanks for raising this. Um, you know, we flagged it to X team or the appropriate team will keep you in the loop, right? Just that they feel like they're being heard um, and there's maybe a positive outcome that can come from it and then maybe change the perception of how they see your agency. If it's just a totally negative complaint overall and there's no positive or value add that can come from responding, that's typically when I choose not to just respond. Mm -hmm. Can I chime in now that I'm back? Oh, yes, Dion, I'm sure you've had your fair <laughs> Yes, please do. But also, isn't it great when technology works, like, and then yeah. it just goes, hey, you know. So my, my theory is that I give people at least once, one time, like, even if they come at us with something really incredibly rude or whatever the question is off the wall, I give most people one response because I've learned it's sometimes it's about responding to that one person, but the vast majority is I, it's about so other people see that we're responding or how we're responding to that. I want other people to know whether they're asking something completely off the wall or something legitimate. Um, we are listening. We are going to respond one way or the other, whether it's we answer their question, we acknowledge we can't or we take it offline and, you know, all these other ways. It's we're showing we're showing everybody else that we're listening mm. and we're responsive. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Um, how about you, Matt? The good thing is one thing we found valuable is to prepare. Um, you might know what the the hot button issues are. You might know what the problems are. And if you, the more you can identify upfront and work on those responses as a team, so that not that you have a canned response, but you know, does this need to be elevated? Does this need to go to a different department? Does someone else need to chime in here? Or do we use a programmed response? If this is said, this is how we respond. The biggest thing is, that people have is, is this overwhelming sense of pressure when someone leaves a review or something that we have to do something. And, and that when that pressure builds up, that's when you make mistakes because you feel like you have to answer. You have to get information out. Whereas having that plan, walking through all of the options prior to anything happening uh, or as it's happening, how do we respond? What do we say publicly? What do we say on social media? Where do we direct people? If everyone on the team knows this is how we're going to handle this, then you keep the emotion out of it. And that's really the key uh, because that's when you make mistakes, when you allow emotion to take over and drive the response. Now, on the technical side, 
the good things on social media that people post. Like if it's a response, I'll, I'll say for example, like a YouTube video. Uh, and, and if comments start coming in on a YouTube video, if the responses are positive, engage with them, like, engage. And, and because what happens is in the social media algorithms, comments that are engaged with tend to rise to the top. Comments that aren't engaged with go to the bottom because the social media platform, this is part of the engagement formula, is they want to show the most popular comments on top because that's going to keep people on the page. So the good things that come in, engage with them, uh, continue to engage in conversation and try and build those so that when something that comes off like a one-off or maybe something that is very rude, it's not engaged with as much. And so it will probably get pushed down in the comments or section of whatever platform you're using. Mm -hmm. So that's almost uh, squeaky wheels get more grease. But um, I mean, you've all made really, really good points. And I know one of the things that worked for us when we, I, I believe we were, well, I know I was managing about 300 Twitter accounts um, for a police department. And so we just simply, well, simply, we came up with a, a triage. So I think like uh, to your point, Matt, about um, responses, we actually distilled it down to maybe 10, if that, types of comments you would get and then from that you know how do you respond and i think if you empower everyone who manages social to to say the right thing um or at least know that if they say this that's an approved response um people are more likely to uh, to engage and um i think i've seen it a lot where government people um managing social for you know they're just not sure they're worried about the wrong thing they're worried about FOIA requests it's there's just so much going in there and you touched upon emotion and all of us have worked in incredibly emotive situations and there is nothing worse than seeing a comment about something that you know intimately and it triggers and that's the end of it. You are off like Kermit. And it's just, it's damaging to the brand. It's damaging, you know, to you. So yeah, that emotional, if the more prescriptive you can be without losing empathy, I think is, is key mm -hmm. because that protects you from that nonsense of which there is lots. Um, so yeah, I think, that, I think that's excellent. And um, I'm, I want to highlight a point that Laurie Ellen's made referencing our last um, question um, and then we'll pop to Dion and who can talk to what she's been up to this week but um, Laurie Ellen Smith has said you know that she speaks more, she's finding more and more NGOs want to talk to government comms professionals um, around EM and crisis comms so it is becoming more accepted and valued she says and I, I agree actually I think um, people with sort of our collective experience are definitely on the up and up when it comes to being uh, sort of procured by private sector. It doesn't mean you have to go, but it's good to know that you've got options that can take you in different directions. So uh, thank you for making that point. Now, um, Dion, uh, you've had a bit of a week of it. And I, I, I wondered, I think it would be useful for people here to kind of um, just get a snapshot of what you've been up to and see what your lessons learned have your lessons learned for the week so far have been because it's not over yet yeah. um we still have another day and a half um Dion, do you want to briefly well if you can briefly explain what's happened this week for you 
can. Well, hopefully we won't get won't cut me off this time. So <laughs> we'll see if the technology likes it. But it's just it's just been a, kind of a, a crisis kind of week. We Monday was it was a holiday um, here for for most folks with President's Day, and we started getting calls and we thought we had an active shooter in a local hotel in the city. And um, turns out we had an individual who was inside the hotel um, shooting multiple rounds um, from his from his handguns. Thankfully, mercifully, somehow no one was struck. He was shooting inside and outside and no one was struck. And it was a it was really challenging because it's a four story hotel trying to clear, get people to shelter in place and figure out where it's coming from and get the person into custody. And we were able to do that. And then yesterday um, it was cold, it was starting to snow. And we were one of the first in the state. We started getting calls about an active shooter at a local high school. And it turned out to be we had um, there were numerous um, probably about a dozen, at least in the state of Colorado, that also got similar swatting calls. And they sounded incredibly realistic, like the dispatcher actually heard automatic gunfire. And so it's a full scale response to that. And Boulder doesn't have school resource officers. So school's pretty old and has lots of nooks and crannies. And so everyone responded and we, it was was getting national media calls. All the local media were coming. Um, And thankfully it turned out to to be um, a swatting type of call. Um, which means no injuries, um, everyone responded well and everyone was okay. Um, but I think some of the, the two biggest lessons learned, um, things that go with that are A, um, having good relationships with reporters. I was talking to the ones that I know well on the way and they were texting with me because they know that my phone is blowing up and I'm like, I can't, nothing's confirmed, nothing's confirmed, but this is what the call is. I'm on my way. As soon as I get there, I'll know where to meet you. I'll find a location. They know that. Um, and so we have those good relationships. So they were able to, because when, when you have a situation like that, everybody will call you, not just one reporter, not just one producer, everyone, multiple reporters, multiple producers from every possible media outlet. And so it's overwhelming and you can't handle it. But because of those relationships, I can communicate and that one reporter will tell his whole station. It's like, all right, this is what's going on. Um, and the other part of that is um, I have really good relationships. I've worked with other PIOs, both within the city, but outside who were checking in to say, I know you've got something going on. Let me know if you need me. We'll show up. And some of, and one of them did. And it was three of us who ended up helping kind of run yesterday's incident with live streaming, media management, prepping the chief to speak. So those relationships you build both with reporters, but also with your fellow communicators are the most valuable thing you can do as a communicator for so many reasons, like for your mental health, for managing a crisis. um, And just for so many reasons, it's very, it's incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. And I know that you have experienced this before and you've spoken to it. Um, I'm I'm sure a few people here have probably seen you speak about your, your experiences um, around this subject. And you, you talk about, well-being and mental health and making those connections I mean I hate to say it but you're well versed now in in how you would deal with something like this um well I say well versed you are experienced and you've had this happen before so what steps can you put in place to to looking after yourself when it comes to stressful situations and I just want to add there that actually um stressful situations for comms people doesn't necessarily have to be these types of incidents it can be anything that is causes you know stress and triggers and things so um perhaps all of you could maybe give some advice on on well-being passion project you know passion for me is well-being for pio so dion how do you 
how do you cope apart from running all these copious marathons that you seem to do? Let's get some realistic things here. You you can run half marathons. You can you can run ten k's. You can run five. You can run a mile. Yes. You can also like also walks. Walks are a wonderful thing. I do walks, but I've learned like it's a couple things. They give a lot of you know whether it's law enforcement, firefighters, EMTs, like first responders go through all kinds of training. But as I'm used to and I've learned, people forget about the um, unsworn public information officer. Mm-hmm. So I've learned to take care of myself, and I have. I have my people. And one of the things I've learned from what they teach the sworn is that talk about it. Talk to people who understand. That's kind of you can talk to people who don't understand, but they're not going to be as helpful. They're happy to listen. But when you talk to people who understand, they can help you process and reframe. And you really you you should talk about it, even when you don't want to. Um, And also just it's that I meditate. I next month will be like three years every day. Um, I've meditated every single day. I learned it from another PIO and it has, it's one of those things that's um, saved my life and it's been wonderful. But that, and then physical exercise, I've learned whatever it is, walking, swimming, biking, um, that physical movement will change um, the chemistry in your brain. Whether you want to feel better or not, it will help you feel better. Great, fantastic. And it is overwhelming. You feel like you're on your own and actually everyone has experienced it in one form or another. So um, how about you, Rebecca? What have you, I mean, you've, so do you want to talk about how, if you're happy to, your experiences where you found it was possibly, I know we can talk about what happened in January, uh, yeah. that if, if you're happy to share that briefly and, and t- talk about the, the well-being side of it. Yeah, definitely. And I was going to say, Deanna, you hit on so many great points. Um that like just hearing you say it is so validating too. Cause I'm like, yes, like I feel that I know what you mean. Um, so it's so nice to hear somebody else say that too. So hopefully um, folks that are on the call with us today feel the same way, but um, yeah, January 6th was um, definitely a, a very interesting time. And one of the things that I was going to say stemming off of Dion was the, the PIO community is unlike any other and I miss it. Granted, I'm still a PIO. I'm still around. I still have all my connections, but it's different, right? Like, I'm not dealing with the exact same things that everybody else is. And I miss that. Um, and it's in, it is truly amazing. And I feel like January 6th was a true testament of that. I cannot tell you, I had people calling from all over the country, texting, Facebook, LinkedIn. Hi, I'm thinking about you. I know you probably can't get to me right now, but like, let me know what my team and I can do for you. Right? Like people who are not anywhere near this incident, you know, probably have so much going on in their own communities that were so quick to reach out and be like, whatever you and your team need, like we're here for you, even if we have to do it virtually from wherever we are, which was phenomenal. Um, but the, like Dion was saying, the the media calls that come in, like it, it it's from everywhere. And, you know, stations aren't talking with each other as much as they want us, right, to only go to one person when something hits the fan, you know, everybody's calling, they all want the details. Um, and it was just a lot to, to kind of coordinate. Um, and on the well-being side, you know, we obviously knew that there was a, a possibility for the day to get a little crazy and it was kind of like touch and go as we went. Um, but I don't think any of us really expected it to be what it turned out to be. Um, and it took me probably 18, like the first 18 hours of the incident before I finally processed like what was happening. And I was taking a 15 minute break for, I was serving as the JIC manager on January 6th. And 
I was in my office and I was laying on my office floor, like sobbing on the phone with my mom because it like finally all hit of like, excuse my French, holy shit, like the Capitol was just breached and there are bombs in the city, right? Like just like it took eight, a full 18 hours for me to process. And of course, like I'm talking to media about what's happening. Like I'm talking about it for 18 hours, but I didn't have that like full chance to process it myself. And I just remember being so overwhelmed with calls and text messages from people that I haven't even talked to in years, but they know that I work in DC. They know that I work in emergency management. And it got to the point where I had to just, A, I barely had time to call my mom, um, who was of course panicking. And I just had to make like one massive social media post to be like, I'm safe. I'm at work. I'm swamped. I appreciate all of you. I'll get back to you when I can. And I just had to take those like five minutes to, you know, do the couple things that I had to do. And a big thing that my team and I kind of preach with each other is you have to take those five, 10 minutes to like, make sure your affairs are in order. So touch base with your family, make sure your kids have daycare. If somebody has to board a dog, you know, like take those 10 minutes to do what you got to do. And then from then on, you just have to focus on the incident at hand. And that was really hard. Um, One of the big things, if I could just stress to everybody, um, in DC at the time, we were pretty good about exercising, um, you know, our plans and getting everybody to the JIC at one time. Um, and we did no notice events where we would call all the PIOs and say, in this one week period at any given time, you could get a call and you have to report to the EOC and the JIC within two hours, right? Practicing for a no notice event. Um, and we did that regularly. And on January 6th, we still struggled to get everybody to the JIC in a timely fashion just because kids, family members, dogs, right? Like all the things. So if there's one thing um, that you take away is to like stress and go over those kinds of things with your teams um, so that hopefully you can have them in a place where they can take care of what they need to do and then kind of shift back to the incident and make sure that your community is okay. Thank you, Rebecca. It's really, really useful to sort of see it from that perspective of having everything in order because if it's like a foundation, if you don't have stuff set, you're always going to have that in the back of your mind that you haven't got some clean underwear in a bag or, Mm -hmm. you know, some food or, you know, that everyone's taken care of. And um, I know from my own experiences of just this constant responding to stuff, it's like you never get taught how it's going to feel when you see stuff on the news that you're involved. You never get taught that that's going to make you possibly go to the toilet and cry and then you have to come out. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, and I think what is, shifting now is great uh, around PIOs being vulnerable and open and honest and that's just strengthens everyone because you you are supposed to supposed to be there if you're you know in the UK if you're a gold commander uh, in media you that's it you're supposed to be on it you're on that you have to be on it you can't show any kind of emotion so yeah it's it's challenging but I think it's it's really encouraging to see so many people um talk about well-being and Matt you've 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 seen it yourself in in lots of ways and but different and I know also the fact that you've moved to a different country pretty much you're working with a different culture and you know there are things that come up all the time and how do you because you're on social all the time how do you protect yourself from what you do (laughs) I, I don't go on social. That's how, that's the key. Um, no, I, I actually I avoid social as much as possible. I get in, do what I have to do, and get out. But uh, the mornings are mine. Um, I kind of made that clear that I'm not. You know, I, I've been on my own now for 
year, you know, I'm trying to think how long it's been. And so when they want me to come and work and help out in an office, uh, I made it clear that I, I'm not showing up before 1030. This is because this time is mine. It's, uh, you know, I used to go to the gym. Now it's yoga. Uh, it's I, and then I drink my coffee. I do my email. I, I talk to home. I, you know, just it, I block out a, a significant part of personal time so that I can have those connections. I know everything's going well at home. I've got time here just really just to sit. You know, my favorite thing is just when I get everything done, just sit and drink some coffee and read the news and see what's going on. Uh, those hours are just so valuable. And if I don't get that, I can feel it in, in the rest of the day. Um, now, and, and but I will say one of the things that absolutely energizes me, and I get a chance to do that when I'm here, is today I went and spoke at a university to communications students and just about everything I'm doing here with uh, the academy, what we're doing with government training and, uh, you know, talking to them about the, uh, the LinkedIn skills report that just came out where communication, uh, social media, digital skills that are in demand right now, regardless of industry, they want people who understand communication. And so just being able to talk with young students that are just starting out, asking questions, trying to make decisions about what they want to do, that was the most energizing thing I've done in months. And so getting an invitation to go back and go to some other universities, these are the things that, okay, I feel like I'm doing something positive. I'm, I'm, I'm working in to show students that there's so much more out there than you're aware of. And those are just things that really just help get me through. Um, I don't deal with any of the stress levels that you guys do, and I'm thankful for that. Um, but oh my goodness, just hearing these stories, I'm just, wow. Um, so yeah, I, I, you've got to be aggressive in protecting yourself. You that's, that's really what it comes down to. Absolutely. And I use that term aggressively. <laughs> Yeah, it's all relative, though. Stress is uh, in the eye of the beholder, for sure. Um, and I think you touched on a really important point about finding joy in what you do. And I can guarantee, no matter the, the death, doom and destruction you deal with, there's always something that just brings you alive. And I know what that is for me. I know that, you know, everyone here has it. Um, and and you're right, just just that's that gets you through the, the dark times of which we, we've all had. So thank you all for sharing that. I've got two um, two more questions, actually, that relate to what we've been talking about. So um, good question, actually, because I've seen this before when I was uh, PIO, whether you get civilian or sworn officers. For those, uh, I guess, primarily for Dion, um, you are a civilian, and I'm sure you get told that a lot, um, as they like to point out. Did you find it difficult to work with command staff? I mean, I know your command team reasonably well, so I think I may know the answer to this, but do you find it difficult to work with a command a command team who are sworn? I think um, since I've worked for three different agencies, it has really helped me learn. You, you kind of have to, to a certain extent, prove yourself with your agency when you're not sworn. There's There's always kind of that. But again, it's it's about communicating and just being human with people and having people get to know you. Um, 
with, with, with kind of with line level, that's what I found. I kind of had to prove that I, I, I had the skills to do certain things and, and how we were going to work together. And with command staff, I, I go with them like, that's, I, you know, I, I respect your position, but you hired me for a reason and I will give you my advice for the situation at hand. Um, I respect that you're the chief, you're the sheriff, deputy chief, that you don't have to listen to me or you don't have to take my advice, but I'm going to give you my advice as the expert that you hired in your infinite wisdom of hiring me. That's that's what I go with. You can do it in a, in a respectful way. Um, and I, I wouldn't be doing my best job to the department, to my chief or sheriff or to the community if I didn't offer this advice. So I, I just kind of do that and I do it in the most respectful way. And I, you know, I've had bosses that listen and bosses that don't. Um, sometimes it's a civilian thing. Sometimes it's a gender thing. Um, mm-hmm. So just always advocate for yourself. You, you are the expert in your role. Yeah. So know, know that. And like, but it's taken time to know that I'm like, all right, I'm going to say this. They're not going to fire me. Mostly because it's more of a pain in the ass than rehire and try and fill my position. But <laughs> they're not. They, they may disagree with you, but they will respect you for you know, professionally explaining, here's the advice that I, I give you for this situation for that. Absolutely. I think it's a case of on your own head, be it sometimes. Um, here you are. This is what I believe to be true. Um, it's up to you. Um, it's amazing, though, how many people uh, think they can write a press release. And I've found, well, many, <laughs> I've found many of them on my desk, which I've just, you know, anyway. Uh, but, you know, the the I think the professionalization of being, you know, the PIO world, uh, that's there's definitely strides being made in that area. I, I know, and uh, I can remember many times when I've actually walked into a command uh, team room for a briefing, and I've been asked to make the tea. So, oh, I've, been asked, I've been asked to take the notes as the yeah. only woman in the room. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, but the thing is, I don't even drink tea. So there we go. That they my favorite might that. be the times where you're not even invited in the room, and I'm like, hello over here yeah yeah there's there's still work to be done for sure and it makes me sad when i hear people who are Mm -hmm. younger than me that are still experiencing that um advocate uh, advocate for yourself always push for it i i have a colleague who has more experience than i do and has been in her agency way longer and is still like not invited to the table and i'm like she knows more than you do like but she you know you have to advocate for yourself she's so she's so talented but it still happens but you can advocate for yourself in a respectful way yeah um, i think or in a way that like that chain of command will understand yes you're you're the chief but i'm not sworn so i don't have to like do do the like sergeant to lieutenant to captain dance i'll just give you my opinion respectfully and then you do what you do yeah Yeah, absolutely. Right. And we do tell ourselves some stories that are completely untrue, <laughs> I believe, and it's just getting past that and getting over it. So um, you're right. Um, but yeah, getting an invite to the table is, I think, the toughest thing. But I think once you get there, you, you can win. Um, I'm a big proponent of, again, respectfully, but sometimes you got to elbow your way to the table and just literally pull up your own seat. So yeah. I'm a huge fan of that. I've done it. And people are like, oh, okay welcome and i'm like thank you there we go yeah so thank you thanks dion Uh, i know it's tough um i've been there um particularly when actually and this is just as an aside i'm i was uh, related to someone who i was pio for so uh that made it doubly hard when they would uh not invite me to things so that's another story for another time so i'm going to move on to this uh for Rebecca Adam Merrick's asking about um, jigs. So if you could 
firstly, for those who may not know what JIC is, just a real basic background of what JIC is and the importance of co-locating with other PIOs from agencies um, during a major days on response. Yeah, Adam, thank you so much for raising that. Once I read your comment, I was like, oh, I use an acronym. And I try not to do that. I know better, but I get passionate and just start spewing things out. Um, so a JIC is a joint information center. Um, it could be a physical place, a virtual place, a Teams chat, um, but it's essentially your space to um, coordinate, share information, work with other communicators, PIOs. Uh, sometimes it's solely your agency. Sometimes you're inviting partner communicators in to kind of help share information, vet things, and make sure that you're kind of all speaking with one voice, one message, and that it's coordinated. Uh, there is a huge, huge importance that needs to be, you know, kind of shared on co-locating with other people. Um, coming from the D.C. area, I think we're really fortunate in that leadership understands that that importance and that flexibility just because of how fluid the D.C., Maryland and Virginia borders are. So that's not necessarily something we struggle with from a leadership perspective. Um, but I do find that a lot of times that holdup will come from leaders who don't understand why you need to talk with somebody in another agency when the information you're sharing, you know, is housed within your team or comes from your team. Um, but it's just to make sure that, you know, you're not um, offering conflicting information or conflicting messaging, um, that you're not getting ahead of another team who may have a piece that's tied to the work that you do. So when you're all kind of in that one room, it makes it a lot easier to share that information and figure out, okay, who's the best person to coordinate this? Who should be talking about it? What can you do? And you can kind of coordinate roles that way. Um, if you are in an agency or, or jurisdiction, organization, whatever it might be where that is difficult, um, totally feel free to reach out. I'm happy to kind of chat through ways that we've worked with leadership that don't understand that importance and kind of help break down that silo and that barrier. But essentially it comes down to your response will not be as successful as it could be if you are not working with the people around you. Um, and the other thing too, is when you have those relationships and um, connections established, that's kind of your backup and your support and your network. So we're talking a lot, right, about mental health, well-being, and making sure that you and your team are good to go. But at some point you're not, right? Like January 6th wasn't just a one-day incident. It was basically from January 6th all the way up to the inauguration three weeks later. And it's not realistic to expect somebody to be able to go, go, go for 22 days and not take a break, right? So when you have those relationships in place and they are familiar with your leadership and what you guys do, you can kind of tag in a backup and, and give your team uh, that kind of mental break to recharge and make sure that they're ready to come back and go. So if anybody wants to chat more about that, I'm totally happy to chat offline, but it is so, so important that you guys are speaking with your partners. Thank you, Rebecca. I couldn't agree more. And it's the same the world over. I've, I've seen it break down so often, no matter how much you do in terms of exercises and protocol. And there's always something that gets forgotten, um, whether it can be something as simple as, oh, no one has access to this part of the building. Yeah. Oh, we don't have any Wi-Fi. Um, I've had that happen before, um, you know, when we did eventually get the internet um, and things like no cell phone, just so many basic practical mm -hmm. things. Equally, we have politics and we have ego and we have, you know, especially I find bet between law enforcement, um, in, certainly in the UK, there are lots of uh, 
lots of people just butting up against each other. So the, the, the relationships prior to events, I believe, are just as important as on the day. And it's, it's, it comes back to everything we've said about everything we do. It's all about relationships and communication, for sure. So, um, Dion, did you want to add anything to that? Because I imagine you've been in a jick or two have and it's just that's that's the other thing i tell people it's it's the it's the relationships that's how you how you get through everything there was i've I've been in boulder for two and a half years and yesterday was the first time i met the school district pio in person and we've had numerous incidents we've talked on the phone never met in person and so it was it was awkward at first trying to figure things out and how we're going to work together but there's there's others like there's people who you just show up other pios who just show up because and I tell people, like, you want to practice and have tabletops so that when you have an actual incident, you're not trying to figure people out how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Like, it's oh, it's critical. It's just so critical before something happens. Yeah. And that's the key before it happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's no fun during. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, um, we probably have time for one more question. But I wonder if, um, Matt, I know that your experiences are slightly different, but you still, I imagine, have to work with a lot of different people, a lot of different companies. How do you manage that when you've got all these elements and all these different, um, actually, cultural considerations? Because, you know, you you would have experienced cultural differences much as I have oh. when I moved here uh, to the US. So mm. it's, how, do you, how do you handle that with all that. It, it's amazing because hearing you three talk about getting the seat at the table, you know, there, there's a part of me that's just like, ah, oh, you know, I just, you know, I have four daughters and this is one of those things. It's like, I don't want them to experience this, but it's a reality. Uh, but then all of a sudden I remember like, no, I'm in a different culture. And the only way you get in a government job is you're born into it. Uh, anyone uh, you you will hold a government job automatically if you are an emirati citizen and so the closer you are to the sheik the more you manage uh and so i in my role right now i answer to the government media office but i'm also doing work with the prime minister's office and of course there's they get along but there's a little bit of well we want you to do this we want you to do this and we want you know so um it's one of those things where it took a long time to even get in the room, not even at the table. Um, I had to prove uh, by, you know, I brought Christine, you, you made two trips here and, and spoke with some of the sessions that we set up, uh, but bringing in speakers, developing courses, uh, working with uh, the younger uh, government professionals and, and bringing them along, I've had to prove that I'm a great teacher and we're going to get through this. And now I'm starting to get some credibility to where I can, now I'm being asked for my opinion uh, rather than just being told where to go, Mm -hmm. where to be there. So, um, and and that's part of it is there, there's for older government employees, many of them don't know English because they haven't had to know. The younger ones have probably studied in uh, the UK or in America. So their English is just amazing. And so you're seeing a lot of younger people come in, the older people there. But it's, uh, I, I talked to someone asking them, you know, should I learn Arabic since I'm doing so much here, I'm living here now. Uh, and, and one of the people told me like, no, what makes you special is you speak English. 
that is we're bringing you here because you're the expert in these areas and if you spoke arabic it would actually remove that authority because you're going to say words wrong uh there's there's many different uh you know and what i've learned is very similar to um you know many different dialects uh sometimes they don't understand each other's dialect it's that different so um yeah being in a different culture has its and, and one thing i did not realize is just how much added stress that would be uh mm -hmm. of navigating you know you navigate politics you navigate a room you navigate meetings then you throw culture on top of that uh you you throw dress on top of that um i had to learn even as a man like if i don't have that button buttoned here i get looks uh so uh you know because i <laughs> i normally don't button button but now i do um and uh because I, I work in an office where uh you wear traditional dress if you're a traditional emirati but we also have people from all over uh the gcc region uh from jordan from lebanon from egypt and so you've got all these cultures and uh you know dubai is a city of i think it, it, it's got representation from every country on earth living in the city uh so it's just absolutely amazing to navigate all of that on top of now i have to create communi a communications training plan that encompasses how to talk to each of these different cultures uh especially in issues of public health uh we have to deal with different communities who live in different areas who have different uh, ideas different languages and teaching the government about how to identify those stakeholders. Christine, you noticed that there's that, that stakeholder identification was almost a new concept. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, and so bringing them along into this, uh, you know, they, they love the crisis comes information. They are hungry for it. Uh, so it's really exciting to be a part of that. Well, that, Matt, I think you've, you've hit on a point around cultural awareness and, you know, as migration changes through even, you know, in the States as well, it's going to have to have, you have to have that awareness of different people moving into different spaces who need different information. So um, as I like to say a lot, uh, same problems, different accents. Um, but I'm going to have to wrap it up very, very shortly because this has just flown by. Um, but I'm going to give you each uh, a few few seconds just to uh, tell me something that's coming up that you're you're looking forward to that people should know about or something that you want to uh, share. So, uh, Dion, you're up. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go with two. Um, if you're in Colorado or anywhere near Colorado, we have our, our PIO group um, every other year conference. It's at the end of April in beautiful Avon, Colorado. Um, it's, it's pretty cheap. I think it's only about $100. It's about two and a half days of amazing PIO training. Um, you might recognize one of the speakers. She's also on this webinar. She's actually hosting it. Um, Christine will be there. She'll talk, um, share some more good stuff. Um, and if you're not in Colorado, the International Association of Chiefs of Police PIO section has its mid-year conference in beautiful Evansville, Indiana. It's just outside of Indianapolis um, and Louisville, somewhere over there. Um, at the beginning of May. And it's also going to be some really good um, training, but also both of these really good relationship building with PIOs. Um, if you're new, if you're a veteran, it's a great way to kind of connect and learn new stuff. So I mentioned both of those great way to learn and build relationships. Brilliant. Thank you, Dion. Rebecca, what you got? 
I'm going to go on a similar track and say um, if you are not plugged in or aware, the National Association of Government Communicators uh, Com School is coming up also in April. It is in Portland, Oregon, so it's going to be a great time. Um, Christine is also speaking at our um, Com School, <laughs> and it is going to be a great um conversation about well-being and how to, you know, keep yourself healthy and, and make sure that you're good to go. So if you had any, you know, positive plugs that came out of this, it will be an expansion of that for April. So hope to see you at NAGC. Wonderful, Rebecca. People are going to get fed up with me. Um, Matt, <laughs> not something yes. I'm coming to. <laughs> oh, I will be at NAGC as well. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. Right. So well, but I'm going to be doing a uh, a, a three-hour session on social media analytics, uh, how to take these numbers and make them mean something. Going back to what I talked about before, how do you turn that into value? Uh, so we're going to do a workshop on that. And then also uh, a breakout session uh, with Tabitha Clark. Uh, I worked with her to help set up a podcast for her city. Uh, I, I honestly, I just told her, here's a list of equipment you want to get. And when she told me her budget, I revised the list and cause she actually had a really good budget. So that, that, that's the little secret there. So, uh, I have a podcast as well. I've been doing for a number of years and then work with Tabitha to help her. So we're going to do a, a session on podcasting, uh, for, for government and for fun. Fantastic. Well, um, I can't thank you enough. I think this has just exceeded my expectations. Um, not that I'm British and put them really low. Um, but in all seriousness, I am so grateful uh, for you spending your time uh, just talking about your experiences and, you know, for everyone showing up uh, to listen in. Um, I will obviously have to plug PIO Toolkit. Um, that's my baby. I'm really passionate about it. And the best thing about it is I get to meet people like you and it's going to be a great year ahead. Lots of things going on. If ever you need anything, you can always contact me. Um, and I know that these guys here are always open to conversations and sharing their, their learning and experiences. So thank you, everyone. This will be available uh, as a recording, but uh, you know, have a great day, whatever the weather. Um, and I look forward to seeing you all again very soon.